We're in Wellington, in the suburb of Seatoon. It's a pōhiri for around a dozen people being held at the local Kurukaupapa Māori. What's unusual about this gathering is that all the people here are Pākehā. During a break, I catch up with one of the organisers of the gathering. So, we've just come outside because the, um, because the kaupapa here is to speak to our Māori. Um, um, but it's, um, it's, it's Melanie. Yes. Melanie, what's your surname? Nelson. Nelson. So, M- Melanie, what's, uh, what's going on here at the um, Kūtukaupapa? Ngā raua wa o te waka reo Māori, or reo tu NZ is our um, English name. Uh, we're a group of Pākehā who are fluent speakers of te reo Māori, and uh, we formed together as a group uh, about four years ago and have been meeting and creating a kaupapa that um, we intend to involve other Pākehā in. So um, the, the agenda today? We've just welcomed uh, some new people. Um, so this is our first hui where we're gradually expanding. We speak only te reo Māori at our hui because we think it's important to walk the talk um, and to create more spaces for te reo to be used. Um, so yeah. Does it strike you as a little strange as it has me? We're all Pākehā. Um, for us, it's not strange. I think objectively it's probably strange because the default setting um, amongst Pākehā is to speak. Um, I think for us it would be really strange to come together as fluent speakers of te reo and to speak English about being speakers of te reo, that would be quite hypocritical. It's not just <laughs> teachers of te reo Māori here either, is it? I mean, it's, um, it's... No, we've got one or two teachers, but... Um, yeah, we've got people from all walks of life and careers, um, researchers, got a judge, translators. Yeah, the, it's really interesting to see what a spectrum of society there are of Pākehā who have turned to te reo and gotten into some depth in it, and that brings a real richness to the group as well. I met up again with Melanie and good friend Alex Hotiri Barnes. Melanie's a Māori language translator and writer, and she's worked with Pākehā organisations in cross-cultural strategy. Alex lives in the Waikato and works as a researcher for a learning and development consultancy. Both of them are very keen on the idea of a group for Pākehā who are involved in Tell Māori. This has been percolating for a few years now, Mel and I, and a, a small collective of us, uh, Pākehā people, or people who identify as Pākehā, who have a level of fluency in Te Reo Māori and a commitment to Māori language and tikanga revitalisation. We've all come at the to the Reo and tikanga in our own unique way, and we really felt the need to come together to one, support each other and within that process of learning and our work, we often work in Māori settings, so finding people of a common background. So that's one of the reasons why we've come together and then secondly to create a wider network and to offer Pākehā an avenue to be more active in the revitalisation effort. 
when you say supporting one another, can it be a sort of lonely space as a, as a parkyard? Yeah, it can be. Um, and I think we've all found that and gathered a lot of strength um, and mutual support from, from our networking. Um, for me, growing up, um, I started learning te reo at high school, so at quite a young age. And quite quickly when you're learning Māori, you confront your Pākehā identity. You have to say your pepeha. It's one of the first things you learn. So um, that often throws a lot of people into a space of, gosh, are they my mountains? Um, what's my waka? How did I get here? Where are my ancestors from? And so right from the start, there's quite a process of being aware of your Pākehā tanga or your Pākehā-ness because you're suddenly in the space of perhaps being a minority, um, contrasting yourself with Māori who have um, quite a clear identity around their Māori tanga. So for me growing up, there was a lot of thoughts around that. Um, and I first met Alex when I was 20 at university and we became close friends um, and with a real understanding of the experience of becoming fluent speakers and engaged deeply and meaningfully in te ao Māori, um, but as Pākehā. And there's been various points in my process of learning where... I've really felt fear and anxiety about what am I doing in these contexts or getting this deep into things and what's my role with this language? Is it my language? Um, is it not my language? What do I do with it? And so for me and I think for all of us, our primary relationships around Te Reo are with Māori people and those Māori who've chosen to share their beautiful language with us. Um, our fellow students are predominantly Māori and when we work in um, te ao Māori, it's with iwi, whānau, hapu. You do have a different journey as a Pākehā in that space. You're nodding, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do, do, do you... Because uh, your pathway to, to te reo Māori was uh, different to Mao's, wasn't it? So in Tauranga Moana again, my, my father uh, was very involved with a local marae there, uh, Rōmai Nohorangi, Tahu Whakatiki Marae, Welcome Bay, um, and he was working on the marae there with uh, young Māori who were looking for work. And so through his work on the marae, they got to know him, the whānau got to know him, and he got to know them. And he was also very interested in uh, treaty education, anti-racism, community development work. And so... This is sort of late 70s? Yeah. Early 80s, and so the Kohanga Reo movement had just started. I think it was about 83, around then. And so he was invited to send us, my twin brother and I, into Kohanga Reo, and he saw an, a, an opportunity for us to grow up bilingually and biculturally. Um, so, yeah, that was how we got involved. There wouldn't have been many Pākehā kids in that Kohanga Reo? No, no, no Pākehā students there um, that I know of. <laughs> So what did you grow up seeing yourself as? I didn't see myself as anyone but a member of the Fano until I started hitting adolescence and went into high school. And that's when I realised I didn't have any Parker friends. <laughs> and I, um, it was kind of a bizarre experience. But we were always just treated as part of the whānau. We were mokopuna of the kōhanga, and we were connected to those marae in Welcome Bay. And so there was no, there was no differentiation until we went into a, a, the bilingual unit at high school. And, of course, adolescence is a tricky time, you know. 
wanting to fit in and realising, oh, this is kind of strange. In fact, I asked my dad at age 12, I said, Dad, why are you doing this? Why are, you, why are we like this? And he said, you'll thank me when I'm older. And at the time, I didn't really understand. That wasn't very much help <laughs> to an anxious 12-year-old. But, um, yeah, it, it, he was right. So, so the, the reaction of the other kids, uh, you're a bit pale or, uh, you know, words like that? Oh, a little bit of some Māori, but very few. We're like, you don't, you're not part of this school or you're not part of this. But that was pretty quickly uh, stomped out, literally, <laughs> by my mates. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think the Pākehā students had more problem than the Māori students around understanding how to place us. My brother and I have just committed and stuck to it, and so finding people like Mel who have come at it from her own angle but still through the education system from an early age, it's been cool being able to make that link and to talk about the learning process as we've gone on. What are you saying about the need for a, a gathering of Pākehā who speak fluent Māori? I mean, does that mean that sometimes you were in a Māori setting and, and the fact that you're fluent Māori speakers is not a comfortable place to be? For me, it's never been uncomfortable to be a fluent Māori speaker, but because my appearance can be quite ambiguous, I have dark hair and slightly olive complexion, I need to be very careful to acknowledge that I am Pākehā right at the start, because it could be assumed, because of my appearance in my reo, that I'm Māori. Um, you, don't, you don't have that same problem. <laughs> nah, 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 I'm, I'm big and white. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's similar, similar to Mel, I mean, I always... I'm aware of our colonial history here in Aotearoa and the fact that so many generations of Māori were deprived of their, their language and their cultural identity and sense of place and belonging uh, through the colonisation process. And so as, as a middle class, kind of mid-30s het fella, I'm kind of aware of all of those things that I bring into a space and um, how people might perceive me. I'm not, I'm not really into feeling guilty um, I think we have, we've got a history that we need to uh, confront and deconstruct and address critically, and yet I'm also aware that we need to move beyond feeling paralysed and work with our paralysis. Yeah, that carries over quite strongly into one, one of the fundamental approaches of our group of Pākehā speakers, Ngā Rawawa, is that frequently in this country we don't actually have very good ways of acknowledging the colonial history and you know that it was mine and Alex's ancestors that confiscated lands and suppressed tikanga and we're quite comfortable I guess with where we've got to with acknowledging and carrying that history not in a way that weighs us down and paralyzes us but in a way that helps us to think through how we engage with the reo in a way that's respectful, acknowledges that it belongs to Māori um, and that they have the mana and modi of where it goes and, and what it is. I found that a lot of my work was sitting in a room with people who were all speaking English but talking past each other and so um, really becoming aware of the fairly unique position I'm in as are a few other uh, Pākehā te reo Māori speakers of really having being able to think about things from two very different perspectives and within two very different frameworks. It's not just a, a matter of the language. You've acquired something of the, of the cultural perspective as well? Yeah, absolutely. And 
that's something we advocate strongly for is that Pākehā learning don't just learn language mechanically but uh, learn tikanga, open their minds to different values and ways of seeing the world. Whether they take those on as their own or not um, doesn't matter but the key thing is to acknowledge that the language is based in a culture and it's a carrier of culture. Can you give me an example of that? How do you connect in a way that's different because of your understanding and perspective? I'm a really keen tramper and over summer I started doing a South Island Traverse, a tramp along the length of the South Island. I'm aware of whose rohe I'm in, what iwi um, I'm enjoying their environment and I look at the trees and plants both from a scientific, ecological perspective and how they're connected in a Pākehā science way and with some awareness of their whakapapa in a Māori tradition. Um, if I get sick, I sometimes know which, which plant to pick and how to do it in a way that respects the tree. I would start my day with a karakia, and uh, I'm not religious, but from all my time in Te Ao Māori, I really recognise and value um, the importance of the karakia as a way to become present at the start of a meeting or a walk or whatever it is you're doing. It's a way to ground, connect yourself to where you are. To what extent uh, d- does, does the cultural perspective of uh, Tao Māori impact on your daily life, Alex? So when I look at the landscape, I'm often wondering, oh, so where are the sites of significance for Māori in this place, wherever I am? That's just a natural... Where, where are the reference points here? Um, but I was exposed to that from a young age through Haidinga with uh, Komatu and our teachers at Kurakopapa. And that's more common in Te Ao Māori, less common in Te Ao Pākehā, but I am seeing it more non-Māori acknowledge that element of being in New Zealand and that unique element. And it comes naturally to me, but again, depending on the context. Do you both find yourself sometimes feeling like giving your Pākehā friends a bit of a slap? That's what actually. That's what surprises me. Uh, by it surprises me so much about the many Māori I've encountered in my life, and the generosity of spirit that so many Māori show um, in their everyday dealings with non-Māori about education, about the environment, regardless of how many times they're pushed back or disregarded, and it just that really surprises me, and it it heartens me to know that those people just continue to do it. Um, often I find I'm a conduit between Māori and non-Māori and sometimes Pākehā will speak with other Pākehā and a lot freer, feeling more free to really talk about their concerns and issues. Yeah, I think for me I've, I've kind of experienced both extremes. One of when other Pākehā realise I'm a Pākehā who speaks Māori a real strong interest and a lot of people saying, oh, I've always sort of wished I could learn or I've wondered about this or that. Yeah, like Alex mentioned um, we also find that um, a lot of Pākehā who see us as Pākehā, and although they'll see that we're strongly involved in Te Ao Māori, um, they'll somehow feel more able to express their racism to us than to Māori directly. <laughs> um, and so a lot of times where people have you know, said really racist things to me as if I would understand because I'm Pākehā, and so dealing with that is interesting in itself. But I do think things have changed a lot. When I look back um, to the mid-90s, when I was... um, My teachers, I think, at high school thought I was kind of strange learning Māori, but by the time I was in fifth form um, and I was still doing Māori, my other teachers, several of them, came up to me and took me aside and 
said, what are you doing, an academic student learning that backwards, good-for-nothing language? Where are you ever going to use it apart from New Zealand? What good's it going to do for you? You should do accounting instead. And Yeah, I do think things have moved a lot since then. Um, if people asked you what you did and you said you worked in Te Ao Māori or worked with Te Reo Māori, that was pretty much the end of a lot of conversations. But I do think there's a lot more genuine interest now. Do, do you, Melanie, ever get the reverse, uh, a kind of... What's a white girl doing in a in the Māori space? Uh, do you mean from Māori? Yes. Um, no, not not in terms of what's a white girl doing in the Māori space in a racist way. I have, however, had many situations where um, I'm in a very Māori space and I'm the only Pākehā and I'm unexpected. Um, and at times there'd be situations from which I'd excuse myself so that it is a Māori space and there'd be situations in which Māori really see the benefit of me being there. You're nodding too, Alex. Have there been times when you've taken yourself away from a situation? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's, as Mel said, there are very few spaces where for some things, um, for some, some forms of learning and some transmission of knowledge, there are so few spaces where that, that transmission can happen. Just being there can put people off. <laughs> and I've also had, I've been challenged openly and publicly about being Pākehā and, and speaking te reo Māori by well-known Māori and it's hit me for six, it's been a shake-up and I, it took me some time to understand how those challenges come up and it felt very personal but actually what I realised through talking with um, colleagues and friends such as Mel and others and doing my own reading is there's a lot of politics that become infused into day-to-day situations and we don't always recognise those politics but they're there and so there's this kind of awareness of the politics. You, Mel, I understand uh, had the opportunity to get in and, and, and get into a very sort of special place in terms of your study of te reo Māori and, and the Māori world. In 2007 I was a student at Te Panikiritanga o Te Reo Māori, the Institute of Excellence in the Māori Language and that was an incredible, life-changing experience, being in a very Māori space where only Māori had been to date. And was this like a, a full-on immersion? Yeah, it's, it was one um, weekend a month for a year, um, all in immersion, so taking pretty fluent speakers to a very high level of fluency and going into a lot of depth around tikanga and koa. Um, so not a place that a Pākehā would expect to be or necessarily even want to be. Um, I was invited to become a student there and I thought very carefully about taking up that invitation um, because I knew that if I didn't accept that another Māori student would get the place. I committed to going and I made a promise to myself that I would see the year out no matter how difficult it was for me personally and I also made a strong commitment to myself that if I agreed to go that I would stick with Te Reo Māori for the rest of my life. I think a lot of Pākehā talk about Te Reo Māori um, as being a real gift to them and it absolutely is to me but there's two words predominantly used in Māori for gift. One's koha which has a real element of reciprocity um, but the word I would use um, of how the reo has been gifted to me is the word tuku, so ko tuku mai te reo ki um, and the word tuku is a conditional gift and it has really inherent expectations and obligations of how you use it, um, what its purpose is, 
whether in your relationship with the people who've given it to you. So for me, I feel a very, I take that really seriously um, and I feel a very, very strong obligation. Do Pākehā need to get more involved in Te Reo Māori uh, as a language acquisition process uh, for the language to, to stay strong in this country? Given the um, population in New Zealand, Pākehā have a huge role, both in terms of just smiling at people who use Māori on the street instead of staring at them, um, making kids feel proud to be speaking Māori. Um, I think the least we can do is to pronounce things correctly. It's, it's hard to take someone seriously these days who doesn't. Um, Māori's a really easy language to pronounce once you have the basics. Do you both leap at these opportunities to speak to real Māori? I'm very comfortable, say, with Mel, um, Switching between Reo and, and Pākehā, sometimes we'll, we'll speak only in Te Reo Māori, pai hoki tērā, e te ka kahuri ki Te Reo Pākehā, pai hoki tērā. With my wife, we probably speak um, 30% of the time in Te Reo Māori, that kind of goes up and down, but we generally speak Māori when we're in public, again, to normalise Te Reo Māori in spaces outside of a school or outside of the home, because... When more people hear te reo, the more, uh, the more normal it becomes for people. And it's a real shame that we can hear French, German or Chinese, Mandarin or, or Japanese and no one takes any notice. But when you speak Māori, people will kind of freak out. Particularly if you're Pākehā, yeah, there's that. But, <laughs> but still, Māori is still a very rare thing to hear on the streets. And that's what we're trying to change as well is why creating public spaces where te reo is normal is so important. Coming into that environment uh, of your hui, I was thinking, gosh, this is strange that there's Pākehā who are committing to te reo Māori um, in this environment. I mean, did, we, are you in any way kind of aware of that um, as Pākehā when you're gathered like that? I think, I think the fact that we think it's strange um, really goes to demonstrate the imbalance of languages in this country and the power that one language has to dictate what is normal and the space that's normal. In saying that, we consciously created it as a Māori-speaking environment and it's always been the tikanga of our hui. Um, but I would also say that for us, we're talking about normalising the use of te reo Māori and creating more context in New Zealand for its use. And we really need to walk the talk. So one to show that we actually really believe and embody what, what we're talking about. But two, it's just really good for our own language development as well. And like you said, there are very few situations in which you can just speak Māori um, in New Zealand, so the more we can create those situations, the better. Longer term, how would you like to see the language evolving? Um, one is to break down the whole dynamic that you learn te reo Māori only in schools. So creating, again, public spaces where te reo Māori is used and it's normal, um, that's one thing. In your research you talk about Pākehā paralysis. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Pākehā, when engaging with Māori, um, can often be unsure about themselves, want to do the right thing, not know what to do, and then they experience a paralysis. So it gets in the way of them being active. Even if there's no real content, there's a way of being humble and there's a way of approaching a situation that shows your humility and shows a sense of respect. So you can do that in English as well. You can do that in English as well. And so 
for Pākehā in the, in the immediate term, it's about asking those questions. How are we making decisions and how is this impacting on te reo Māori culture and identity and tikanga? Yeah, I think an important step for Pākehā is um, to feel comfortable about being Pākehā and to feel comfortable about not knowing something and recognising that you don't know something and acknowledging that is really the first step to learning and taking steps to address that. Um, and yeah, so I think the most effective people I've seen through my work um, and relationships with Māori are actually those from overseas because they don't carry the baggage of feeling like they should know something. They've just come in a few years ago on a recent ship and they're full of wanting to understand and know and so they can ask really simple questions that a lot of Pākehā would be shy to ask and feel ignorant about. It's not, um, it's not our fault of the current generation that we didn't learn these things in school, that we didn't learn about our history, didn't learn about the treaty, didn't learn te reo Māori. Um, the circumstances of the past have led to that situation but we can recognise our ignorance and in a way that you know, takes care of ourselves and um, so gather the support we need to break through those barriers. Humility is huge. Humility is huge. But humility in a way that is still a strong sense of self. It's not about being a doormat. It's not about just saying yes to everything. It's still being critical. It's being critical and it's also owning one's own skin, being okay in one's own skin. And, and for you, what does that mean? You know, I'm happy about being Pākehā and I own my Pākehā tanga, my, my Pākehā heritage, but I realise too that it's only through relationship with Māori that I have a Pākehā heritage, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's only through our engagement with Māori who are Indigenous that we have this label Pākehā. And it's about a relationship to this land. So when I talk about being Pākehā, it's a relationship to Māori and it's a relationship to this country. It strikes me that both of you have been on a really interesting journey. I mean, are you, are you conscious of that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on um, one level. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost hard to think of it um, as a separate journey now because it really is life and... I just can't imagine who I would be as a person without having been on this life journey that I've been on. I would have a differently shaped brain. I would express myself with different words. I would have different friends. I'd have different relationships. I'd be doing different work. Um, there's actually very little that would probably be the same about me or about my life. So it's been an incredibly fortunate experience for me to have become involved with Te Reo and Te Ao Māori and I'm sure it's going to continue for the rest of my life. I'm quite intrigued to see where it's going to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean similarly it's just created a whole other way of viewing the world from one monologic to a multi-logic, a way of engaging with others in the world and through various shades and I just can't imagine what that would be like if I didn't have that. And I've been stretched and I've been challenged and sometimes I want to run away but I can see the benefit and the obligation as well to continue this work and I'm really committed to that and I just see the benefits are huge um, so I'm really thankful and would I want my children to grow up the way I did? Sure, it would be different. I'd do things differently than what my family did but you know, the, the benefits outweigh the drawbacks. Good 
Alex Hotiri Barnes and Melanie Nelson from Na Rauawa o Te Waka Reo Māori. The Waiata is performed by Nigel Brook. Waka Rewa Tia Te Waka Aroa Tuki Te Pai Te Pai Tapati Waianei, Waianei Kia Tata Waianei Te Pai Tapati Kia Tata Waianei, Waianei, Kia Tata 